please join me in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. And as you're finding your place there, let me ask you this question. What's the greatest thing you did this past week? What's the greatest thing you did this past week? And it's likely that the greatest thing you did or failed to do was pray. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, prayer is beyond question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. So let me ask you, did you pray this week? Last week we were in the word of God, Jesus' words, remember verse 6, he said, this is to be the highest priority of your life, you need to pull aside in the presence of the Father and your Father who sees what's done in secret, he will reward you. And so we were exhorted last week from Jesus' words, oh yeah, I need to prioritize private prayer in my life. And now I just wanna pause and ask, did you? And if you say, I did not. Last week was a week of a lot of other things, but prayer was minimal. Then before we get any farther in the message, this would be a good moment to confess that to God and repent. Tell him you're sorry. Lord, I was wrong. You think about anything else you did, could it match this great privilege, this great command to be in the presence of God? Well, last time Jesus taught us how not to pray. Do you remember? Jesus said, don't pray like a hypocrite. Don't have as your motive to pray, to pray publicly in such a way that people would be impressed with you that you'd be seen by men. So don't pray like a hypocrite, Jesus said. And also he said, don't pray like a pagan. Don't do meaningless repetition. So we're not the people who, when we're praying, we're not chanting, we're not shouting, we're not ringing bells, we're not spinning wheels. We're talking to our Father. So Jesus said in verse eight, do not be like them. And now let's consider how he said we ought to pray. Verse eight, so do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And now this, pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. These are some of the most familiar verses in all the Bible. And the danger with something that's so familiar like this is we might fail to, to think about the full impact of what Jesus is saying here. So this short prayer is given to us by our Savior as a model prayer for us. Notice Jesus did not say, hey, disciples, recite this prayer. Neither did Jesus say, hey, disciples, pray this prayer. Jesus said, pray then in this way. So this Lord's prayer, as we call it, is a model prayer for us. It really functions as a kind of prayer outline for us. It's a bit of a prayer list for us. These are the types of things that you and I should pray about. This is how you address God. And these are the things you talk about with him. Now, reciting it's not bad. And if you find that very beneficial in your life to recite it when you're with a group of people, that's wonderful. I'm not one of those that finds it that helpful. I'm weird, and you know that already. We've been together a long time. I know I'm weird, but whenever I'm in a prayer group, and it's never at Staples Mill, we just don't do this, not part of our tradition, but if I'm with some other believers from various churches, you know, once every few years, somebody might do this. 
they're praying along, and then they say, and then, Lord, we pray as you taught us to pray, and then I know it's coming. Okay, here it is. We're getting ready to say the Lord's Prayer together, and I stop praying then. I don't mean to, but what happens is I start trying to get the word order right. I have it memorized, but it's not something I say every day, so I'm like, I'm now worried. I'm worried about, am I going to say it in the right order? Then you got that moment like, okay, wait a minute. Are these Christians going to pray, forgive us our debts or trespasses? So I got that moment. What's coming? Debts or trespasses? I don't, I don't know. What's so I stop praying, just to be honest with you. I make it through that. And if we continue praying, I can, I can lock my eyes back on the Lord. Again, that's not saying it's not beneficial. It's not good. It is good. But I find it not that helpful. It's not something I look forward to. Hey, let's recite it together because I'm, my mind just starts getting worried about other things. So what is this? This is a model prayer for us, for our private prayer lives. Yes, publicly too, but for private. This tells us the heart that we bring into prayer to God. This is what to pray about and how to go about it. So how did Jesus say we ought to pray? He says, pray in this way. So what do we pray about? Jesus says right out of the gate, when you come into the presence of God, bring praise and gratitude. Bring praise and gratitude. That's verse nine. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus, Jesus says, this is how you begin. This is how you address God, our Father. Now, everybody in the world can't pray that way. Remember, he's talking to his people. He's talking to his people who have gathered for him. And so a believer in Jesus Christ can address God as Father. Nobody else can do that. We're not trying to be extreme there. This is just the teaching of Scripture. Not everybody is a child of God. We're all creations of God. He loves his creation. But only those who have believed in Jesus are his children. John 1, verse 12. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So as a follower of Jesus... We have this amazing privilege. When we address God in prayer, we call him our father. And when we begin that way, it brings clarity to the relationship right out of the gate. When we call him our father rightly as a follower of Jesus, this shapes everything else about how we're going to talk to him in the moments that follow. When you begin by calling God your father, you're struck by the profound grace of God, aren't you? When you begin praying, our father, my father, you are struck by profound thanksgiving because you know that you weren't always a child of God. You know that there were many years where he was not your father, where the scripture says of you that instead of being a child of God, you were an enemy of God. He wasn't your enemy. He's been offering salvation to you all along, but you were hostile to him. And now you find yourself praying to your father in heaven. And so you are moved into praise. You're, you're giving thanks to God because he is your Father. So right at the beginning, you acknowledge who God is. So Father speaks to family. It speaks to intimacy when we pray. When you can call God your Father, that speaks to security, doesn't it? I know Him, and He knows me. I belong to Him. And it speaks to access, doesn't it? I have access to the presence of my Father. When I was a little boy growing up in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, I lived pretty close to downtown, just a few blocks from downtown Rocky Mount. And my grandfather, before he retired, was the president of a small company in one of those buildings downtown. And so on occasion, I could just ride my bike just those few blocks into downtown and go see my grandfather, who was the president of a company called Camasco. When I would get there, I was nothing to behold, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old, whatever, riding a bike, always had grass stains on my jeans, 
almost always had a Kool-Aid mustache. That's how we did it back in the day. Some orange or red or grape, whatever color I had been drinking. That's the condition I walked into this company. But I would ask, are Buddy and Sugar here? It's what we called our grandparents. Buddy's my grandfather, Sugar my grandmother. Are Buddy and Sugar here? And those secretaries there would always smile at that. I didn't know why until later. Oh, yeah, I guess that's to them cute, what we called my grandparents. But here was the wonderful moment. They would smile at me, and then they would usher me back to the president's office. And I can still picture those, those wood panel walls in my grandfather's office. But here was the best part. My grandfather would open the door. He looked nice. He was in a suit. And there I was, this grubby kid. <laughs> he would welcome me in. He'd pick me up. I can still feel the whiskers. His, he always had little whiskers on him and uh, hugging me tight. I love that. I was welcomed into his presence. Places where the secretaries wouldn't just up and go without a reason. I had access there. And far greater when we think about our father in heaven, those of us who are fathers and grandfathers, they were nothing compared to our heavenly father, the perfect one. And listen, when you know Jesus, you have access to him and he wants you in his presence. How do I know he wants me? He's teaching you about prayer because he wants you to do it. He wants you to be in his presence and he welcomes you. And this is a bigger thrill than being welcomed by your grandfather or your earthly father, because this is the perfect father. A father all in a class by himself. Unlike me as a father, this father never fails. And unlike me as a father, this father in heaven has all resources. Unlike this father, that father never sleeps. My kids see me nap, just doze off <laughs> in the evenings. Our God never sleeps. He never slumbers. And so our God in heaven, our father, his love is perfect. His knowledge is perfect. His plans are perfect. His leadership is perfect. So when we begin, our Father, are we not led to praise him if we're thinking about what we're saying? That's what Jesus says next. Our Father in heaven, now he just goes right into praise. Hallowed be your name. It's not a word we use a lot, hallowed. What does it mean? It means to honor as holy. It means you're ascribing to God what's already true about him. You're not adding anything to him. You're just recognizing God, you are holy. You are very, very different than me. You're very, very different than anything else or anyone else that I know. You are, your name is hallowed. Why, why his name? His name represents him, represents everything about him, the totality of his attributes. And so when you're hallowing, when you're saying, God, I praise your name, you are the greatest. You're calling to mind his power, his wisdom, his sovereignty, his mercy, his patience, his great love. You hallow his name. You recognize him and his greatness. You revere him. You honor him. You glorify him. And you begin to speak to him in these ways. So think about it. Jesus said, when you come into the presence of God, you're coming in intimacy and awe, aren't you? I'm welcomed in the presence of, whoa, awesome God. You come boldly because you are his child, but you come humbly because he's my father who is in heaven and there's no one greater than he is. So notice, we don't just run into his presence. We don't just come in babbling, I have a thousand needs and we just start rattling them off. Jesus said, there may be moments when you do that, but your typical rhythm when you get into the presence of God is I, I'm gonna address you and I am going to praise you. That's how it's fitting to pray to God. Next, Jesus said, Bring kingdom concern and surrender. Start with praise. Start with gratitude because you are a child of God. But then move into kingdom concern and surrender. Notice verse 10. Jesus said, this is what you pray about. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your father in heaven, he's a king and he has a kingdom and this should shape our praying. So here's a reminder, every time we pray, when we pray like Jesus taught us to pray, that we realize, you know, my existence is not all about me. My life's not all about me. So everything else that I'm going to pray about is shaped by this awareness. He's my heavenly father. He's a king. He has a kingdom. So let me ask you this. How much of your praying is typically about God's kingdom? How much of your prayer life is about wanting God's will on the earth? Maybe, maybe you've been praying too small. Maybe that's why prayer is so boring and such a struggle because you're praying about small things. Now, I'm not trying to ask you to not pray about small things. That would be a, a misapplication of this passage. Pray about everything. Pray about the small things. But what if your prayer life is only praying about the weather? God, give us a good day today. Give us beautiful weather. Or your prayer was, I need a good parking place. This parking lot's kind of full. I'd like to be close to the door. Or I'm having, I'm having some allergy trouble and I'd like help with allergies. Not bad things to pray about. Don't, don't stop praying about those small things. But what if that is your prayer life? Here when we think about the words of Jesus, doesn't he push our minds far beyond small things? Include those, but don't start there. There's a kingdom to pray about. There's an earth that needs to bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so the Lord pushes our minds far beyond ourselves to pray about his kingdom to be zealous for God's will on the earth. So pray bigger than maybe you've been praying before. So what does it mean when we talk about God's kingdom? What is that talking about? This is just simply talking about the rule of God, the reign of God. And so Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God on earth. We get to now, even now, live in the kingdom of God. Yeah, we understand all the other governments and all the injustices of the world, but that's not our kingdom. We're in the kingdom of God and King Jesus is ruling over us and unbelievers are not in this kingdom yet. They're outside the kingdom. We, we have compassion for them. They're ruled by another. Their master's not good. We used to be in that kingdom. By the mercy of God, we were transferred from that domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we're in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is gonna be culminated when Jesus returns. Don't you look forward to that with me. When Jesus comes again, he will reign in righteousness over all the earth. You do know there's a time coming. The scripture tells us when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is coming. We're in the kingdom now, but the fullness of the kingdom when Jesus reigns over all of his earth and everybody is subdued under his righteous leadership. So when you pray for his kingdom, you're clarifying where and how you fit in to the world that is his. When you pray for his kingdom to come, his will be done, you're expressing your earnest desire that more and more people would willingly come under his leadership now. When you pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, you're yearning for the return of Christ. Lord, when this is gonna be fully realized. So let me suggest some things to help you and me when we pray for the kingdom, when we're surrendering to that. First of all, I might suggest to you that you would bring maps into your prayer time. Bring maps into your prayer time. You say, where do you even get a map? Here's the good news. You can Google maps and screenshot them. <laughs> I don't even know where you would go to buy paper maps anymore. I guess you could Google that too. Go to Amazon if that would help you. But what I've done is I've Googled countries that I feel like I should pray for where I want the kingdom of God to expand there and I'll, I'll screenshot them. And what I have is a kind of a photo prayer album there on my iPad. 
and I've pulled in maps of countries that I'm praying for, countries like Uzbekistan and India and Malaysia and Nepal and Afghanistan and Lebanon, Peru and Iraq and Poland. These are countries that are on my heart. You probably have some other countries, saying, I, but I, I'm, I'm burdened for this other country that they would come to know Jesus, that the kingdom of God would come through that country as people embrace the gospel. And so, but bring maps in to help you take your mind out. How would I pray for God's kingdom to come on the earth? His will be done on earth as in heaven. People need to be saved. They need to know Jesus, the joy of salvation. Make this a matter of prayer. Another way to do this is pray for unreached people groups in these nations that we describe. The great resource is imb.org, the International Mission Board's website. Go to imb.org. One of the first things you'll see there if you look at a menu is pray. You click on that, all kinds of prayer resources to take your mind outside of just the small things that we should pray about. But we're praying about the kingdom now. And here are some resources to show you some people groups that you've never heard of, sometimes by the millions who still need Jesus. And this should consume us because these are the things on the heart of God. So use maps. Use resources. Be aware of these church planning efforts we're a part of. Why not pray? God, I want your kingdom to come to short pump. And Lord, would you bless the way church as they get going there in short pump. Help them to grow and flourish and make disciples in short pump. Or how about Lakeside? God, I want your kingdom to come to Lakeside. I want your will to be done in Lakeside as it is in heaven. And bless Covenant Life Church as they get going there in Lakeside. May you, may you cause them to flourish. So pray this way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And doesn't this lead you to personal surrender at the same time? Notice this. It's impossible to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but then to say, but not in my part of the earth. I want your kingdom to come there, but not in my life. I want you to rule over everything but me. I want your will to be done but not in my life. I want my will to be done. Impossible. If you're praying like Jesus, this is how you pray. You're praying about these things. You cannot pray that and mean it if you're resisting him in your personal life. You can't say your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and say, but I'm not willing to even consider that you might call me to leave the United States to another culture with the gospel. Doesn't mean God's gonna call everybody to do it, but something's wrong with our praying. We're not meaning it if we say, I would not even entertain the thought that you might call me to go and serve in another place. So praying this way puts you in a posture and perspective of surrender, doesn't it? It gets you off the throne of your life when you realize I don't belong on the throne of my life. Jesus is the only rightful king in my life. This is his kingdom and I'm, I'm obsessed with his kingdom. When I was a boy, my stepfather had a chair. Did anybody else grow up where your dad had a chair? My stepfather had the chair. It was the nicest chair in the den. It was the recliner. And uh, we were all welcome to sit in his chair unless he was home. And he wasn't an ogre. He wasn't mean about it. It was right. I think about it. As a kid, I didn't belong in his chair if he's home because he would have been relegated to the lousy couch behind everybody. It would not be the rightful place for the man of the house. And so, so I'd sit in his chair. But, but if I ever forgot to vacate his chair when he got home, he was polite about it. He's a former Marine and he's strong, quiet type but he would come up to the chair quietly and say, how about if we trade places? And I would vacate the chair. <laughs> I did not belong. It wasn't mean. I didn't feel demeaned. It's just, that's where, he, that's where he belongs. Listen, when we pray about the kingdom of God, when we really are sincere, God, I want your will on earth as it is in heaven. That means I want, you, I want your will in my life. I dethrone me. I want you to take over your rightful place 
in my life. So pray for kingdom advance on the earth through the gospel advancing. Surrender gladly to his lordship in your life every day. Offer yourself daily. God, I'm your ambassador. I'm to be salt and light. I'll, I'll share your light here. But God, even if you were to blow my mind and send me to another culture, I would agree with you. I would cooperate with that process if you called me there. So in prayer, bring praise and gratitude. Jesus says next, bring kingdom concern and surrender. Then this, bring your needs and requests. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. So here at last, Jesus said, when you pray, now bring your needs here. Now be encouraged, God wants you to bring your needs to him. Just don't typically start there. But God is inviting you to bring the needs. So pray this way helps you to see your needs in their rightful perspective. It helps you remember, all right, I'm praying about all these things. I do have very real pressing needs and hurts and problems. But now I understand where they fit in the God's plans on the earth. My life and my needs fit into the kingdom of God and his plans for the world. I can't act like meeting my needs is why God exists. Well, he exists to take away all my problems. And if he just take away my problems, then God's will's done on earth. No, there's a kingdom. Maybe God's plan is to use some of your problems and some of your hurts to advance his kingdom. But we are rightly told, bring these needs before him. Now, Jesus tells us what kinds of things can you ask for help with? Well, ask for your provision. This is Jesus teaching you. It's right and good to ask for help. Jesus says, bring up your daily bread. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. So pray for your physical needs. Pray for food. Pray for health. Pray for healing. Let me ask you, are you asking God to help you with these things? You must do so. Somebody might think, well, I'm just humble. You know, God's got bigger things than my needs. I don't even pray about those things because I don't need him to help me there. That sounds humble, but is it not arrogant? I can handle my own provision on my own. No, you're sadly mistaken. Don't think it's going to be either or. I'm going to pray for the kingdom, but I'll never pray for my things ever again. No, that would be prideful. That's presumptuous that you can provide for you. Even if you have a lot of things stored up, you have a big fat bank account. Even then, you should pray like this. But Lord, I know that my life is in your hands. My life is not in what I've accumulated. My security is not there. I know that could be gone in a moment. So Lord, I'm counting on you to meet my needs. Jesus gave us a stark warning in Luke chapter 12 about a rich farmer who thought it was all about him and what he'd accumulated for himself. These are strong words. Hear this. And he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul? You have many good things laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Is that you? I don't even pray about my provision. I got this. God can go help those other people. Jesus said, that's, that's arrogant. You need to be bringing your needs before the Lord. One of the groups of people on the earth that I'm so burdened for during these COVID times is those day laborers. Do you know millions of people around the world, they have nothing in savings and their job is to go work today 
that I might bring money today home, buy food, and then take it home to my family. And COVID-19 and the understandable restrictions in many places around the world have broken that where people can't go get their daily job, where they'll get their daily money for their daily food. Listen, pray for those people as well, even as you pray for yourself. Aren't you glad for groups like Send Relief, Southern Baptist other, and others who do work to, to help those suffering from hunger all over the world? We need to be a, a part of that. But Jesus says here, bring your needs, bring your financial needs, bring your concerns, bring your hurts. Ask God to help you there. Secondly, he says you can ask for forgiveness when you come. He talks about debts here. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So this is a regular part of our praying where we ask for forgiveness. Now, somebody might protest and say, why would we ask for forgiveness when Jesus has already forgiven us? If because of my faith in Jesus, I already stand righteous in the sight of God, why would I have asking forgiveness an ongoing part of my life? Well, it's, it's like in our own families. I hope in your family, people understand that there's a time and place to ask for forgiveness for things. It doesn't mean that they were excluded from the family. Now they're back in the family. They do something wrong. They're out of the family. It's not that. It's just what you do. When you do something wrong, you should acknowledge it. And you want to repair the damage to the relationship. And so it is with God. When we sin, doesn't mean we've been kicked out of the family, but we've wronged God and we should own it. And we should say, God, I am, I'm really sorry. So earlier in the sermon, right at the beginning, I asked you, did you pray this week? Did you prioritize private prayer? Was it a big part of your life this week? And if not, it was right to say to God, I was wrong. That was, that was on me. I squandered opportunities to meet with you. I was wrong. And I, I need you to forgive me for that. Or when you're prideful, it's right to say, God, I tried to share in your glory. I tried to take some of the glory that rightly belongs to you. I'm sorry. I was wrong to do that. Or if we have an impure thought in our head, and instead of banishing it immediately, if we dwell on that, we should say, I was wrong. Totally wrong. That was inappropriate for me. God, would you cleanse my mind all over again? Or if we blow up on somebody in our temper, it's right to say to God, Lord, I was wrong. Forgive me for that. And even to the person we blew up on, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? This is just what we do. To Christians... John said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, so we ask for forgiveness. But I love what comes next. This is so beautiful and this is so like Jesus, isn't it? We're to ask for strength to forgive others. Verse 12 again, and forgive us our debts. Now notice this, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Notice the assumption, Jesus says, that when you're praying, you're gonna need forgiveness for the things you've done but you have this disposition where, yeah, and, I, and I, I want to be able to continue to forgive other people. People are going to have debts that they have in my account, and, and I need to be able to forgive them. And we'll talk more about this next time when we take on verses 14 and 15. So we'll hold most of that for next time. But for now, when we pray regularly, we should pray for our own forgiveness and pray that we would forgive others, even preemptively. Somebody might offend me today, Lord, but I, I'm not going to be a grudge holder. I'm not going to be a bitter person. You have forgiven me millions of sins over the years. And so I'm going to have a disposition that's ready to forgive other people who might wrong me today. What else does Jesus say we can ask about? Spiritual victory, protection, and guidance. We also can ask for spiritual victory, protection, and guidance. Verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here's this reminder, we live in a persistent, fierce, spiritual war, and we're to bring this to the Lord. You and I know where the battle lines are in our lives, don't we? We know which temptations are the most tempting to us. 
And we bring that to the Lord for help. Once again, it's not an area where we're arrogant. I got this. No, I don't have this. God, I need your help. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. And so we think about, Lord, deliver me from the evil that's inside of me, the sin nature that I battle every day. And Lord, deliver me from the evil that's in the world. In both directions, God, I need you to deliver me from this encroaching, hostile world. Deliver me. So we go to places like Ephesians 6, and we remember that God has given us the full armor of his, righteousness and truth and the gospel, all that, to, to be suited up in his armor for protection. But, but notice, suited up in that armor, what did Paul say to do? Pray. Pray. This is Ephesians six eighteen. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So Paul talks about spiritual warfare. You're in this raging spiritual battle. You have a hostile enemy. Suit up in the armor of God and pray at all times in the spirit. And Paul said, pray for me. Pray for protection, pray for perseverance, and pray for the proclamation of the gospel. So here's good news. Definitely, Jesus says, bring your needs to the Father. I love 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. But again, that invitation is to Christians, those who've recognized their sins and they've turned to Jesus in humility, recognizing that only Jesus can forgive their sin. Only Jesus can save their souls because Jesus alone died on a cross and was raised from the dead. If you will turn from your sin, come to Jesus, put all your faith in him. Jesus, save me, take over my life. He saves you, you become a child of God and you can enter into this type of prayer life that Jesus here has taught us about. So here's, here's your greatest need to pray about, Jesus. I need you to save my soul. And so if you're here today and you have not yet humbled yourself to ask Jesus to save you, this is that moment. Ask him to save you. Let that be your, your greatest prayer. And then you can walk in this intimate walk with Jesus having done so. Pray with me.